Well, welcome back everybody to the Tech Whispers podcast. Really, really excited. You can tell I'm not in my office today. We're actually at the Terranea Resort, Southern California at the CIO 100 Awards, celebrating the best CIOs on the planet. And joining me today is somebody who is a good friend. We've been wanting to do this for a long time and uh, he's here receiving an award. And so uh, my friend today, Cisco Sanchez, CIO of Qualcomm. And one of the things that, that Cisco does better than anybody is knowing what matters, being laser focused on those things that matter, getting his team and his company wrapped around those things. So Cisco, welcome. Thank you, Dan. It's, it's a, it truly is a pleasure and an honor. We have been trying to do this for a number of years. I'm glad we finally got to do this. I really have. Absolutely. And you know, if you can see it here in the, in the mic, I actually, I want to keep you hydrated. So from our team, the Tech Whispers Yeti. Ah, so very for, nice. for you, uh, Thank you very I want much. to keep you good and healthy. Right? Yes, I appreciate that. Energy going on there. But so CO100 award, big deal. Congratulations, you and your 2,500 colleagues. Um, tell us about the award. I mean, this is about innovation and and what did you guys win the award for? Yeah, so part of the reason for winning the award is uh, we were pushing the boundaries on how we do the high performance computing. And so if you think about um, in our industry for, for the silicon that we build, we build chips that allow for modem and Wi-Fi and 5G explosion. And so we do a lot of really cool high performing chips. But to do that, you need something to be able to work on. And so we built this really highly performance uh, compute grid that we call it, um, that allows for us to innovate at speed and scale. But when you do a job and say, I want to put it into this, this, uh, the grid to allow to optimize, what typically we see is underutilization or overutilization. And so we use a lot of AI ML techniques to help drive down the cost, identify when those low values are, uh, low periods are, accelerate those so you get more chip, uh, chip design out faster than our competition. If you think about what we do, there's probably two or three players that have as big of a grid as we do. Uh, and you can name them off, and there's silicon players. Ours is probably number two or number three. So it's this massive size. So we have to be very conscientious of how we utilize that compute grid to ensure you can optimize, not just for you know, speed of value, but also optimize for the engineers so you can see the jobs turn faster and you get uh, value back uh, from an employment self-satisfaction, but also innovation. Very cool. So before Qualcomm, amazing run at FedEx, 20 year run at FedEx. And uh, tomorrow we're going to have a leadership masterclass and opening will be Rob Carter, your former mentor, your mentor, yeah. right? And then you're closing it at the end of the day. Yeah. So um, just talk about that experience, you know, kind of growing up and learn what you learned there. Yeah. So uh, I was at FedEx for 25 years. 25. 25 years. Yeah. I started as an intern uh, with the company, and it was the greatest experience. It, it really was. Um, when I first started there, FedEx was a smaller company, uh, if you think back then. Um, and I wanted to, to be able to do great things. And so I, I started as an intern in Colorado, um, and they put me into developing software. And loved it. I was, I'm still a developer by nature. And so I, I was able to develop uh, clearance applications, uh, coded in C, C++, Unix, all scripting languages, Java, um, and uh, it was it was a blast. Um, a couple of the the chief architects in that company started taking me under their wing and saying, "You're good at this. You should start looking at how the design starts to structure out, and how it why it matters, and how do you build scale and efficiencies, and look for resilience patterns, and 
think about the next thing that may come and ensure your design's right. And really strong architects at the company. And so uh, Tom Hardman, Mary Contreras, or uh, it was Mary White at the time, uh, took me out of their wing and started saying, here's how you should start thinking about how design looks like. Um, and I love being an architect. And so you think of an, an architecture, you, you wouldn't buy a home, build a home without a blueprint. You just wouldn't. Um, because you, you need to understand how the foundation works and um, how the weather patterns work. And, and that's what architecture was bringing to the table of thinking about the whole life cycle of it. And so uh, I went to architecture, uh, started to build and design applications underneath Mary and Tom, then got introduced to Ross Thacker, another amazing architect. Chris, uh, Chris was there, a bunch of cool architects that were just helping me to t drive uh, and understand it. I moved from there to um, help support Latin America. It was Latin America and Canada. It was called IT Americas. Uh, not the one in the middle, but the other two. And uh, one, of the, one of my great mentors, her name is Beth Galetti at the time, she took me under her wing and saying, you're going to develop clearance applications for Latin America and Canada um, and make something happen and do, do great things. Um, and I loved it. Got to work with the, the teams in, in Latin America. We built some really cool things. Went to Europe. Was there in Europe for four years um, uh, and got an opportunity to work with a, a guy named Mike Foster, another great mentor. And he was helping me look at um, not just applications, but culture and values and rationalization and thinking about, ch challenged me in lots of different areas. You don't think about just technology, it's the other stuff. And he was challenging me how to be a better leader, a really good leader. And so, um, Went there for a while, uh, I was there for four years, and then went to Memphis. Uh, Rob called me back and said, hey, you need to do the enterprise foundational services, so these big foundational things that can never, ever go down. And, mm. um, no we, pressure. No pressure. And everybody using them. And so we started building these uh, applications out, um, and they, they started people adopting them. The power is when you build them, but people have to adopt them. And so we were building a bunch of them, and they were adopting as fast as we can create them. Then I went to, to uh, FedEx Ground, was a CIO over there, um, and started building some, some great clearance applications, some, uh, sorry, some hub applications, a lot of mobile applications, because we were trying to uh, ensure that we created new experiences for our delivery drivers, some interactions with, uh, with Walmart and Wayfair, some really cool stuff that we were doing. And now I'm at Qualcomm. Well, I love to have you talk about Qualcomm. The story that you're writing there now, you and the leadership team, uh, can you talk about the the revenue growth, the yeah. the plans, the the new markets? Um, this is a story that's pretty exciting. This, as you would say, this matters. Qualcomm matters. Yeah, to all Qualcomm of us. matters. And tech within tech, right, is how you oh. describe it. I, and I'm customer number zero, too. So, uh, for for those that don't know who Qualcomm is, um, if you have a phone, if you have a Wi-Fi router, if you have, if you like 5G, it's probably Qualcomm in your phone. Probably the Qualcomm is is in everything that you love, it really is. And so the reason I went to Qualcomm was because of that journey of, we're going from creating mobile handsets to starting to allow for us to have that same technology in a lot of other spaces, IoT and auto, and the AI uh, continuation. And so that was the motivation. Uh, there was also a new CEO coming in, uh, Cristiano was coming in, a new CFO was coming in, a new general counsel, the new CMO was there and now the new CIO. And so part of it was super exciting because the, the, we get to form what could be the making of something amazing. And it's starting to be amazing. Right. And so for Qualcomm, uh, it's, it's not, we're focusing on not just the handset, 
So if you think about like what's in your phone, um, it has great Wi-Fi access, it has connectivity, it responds quickly, um, it has Bluetooth, but you need those same t t type of characteristics in the Tesla-like cars, right? Where everybody's more or less creating a car on wheels. Car on wheels, it's digitized. Um, and so all of that functionality is required at, at low power, high speeds, and, and creating. And so the journey that we're being on is pivoting from one discipline to multiple disciplines. And if you think about what we do, we're a $44 billion company tracking and go, uh, our goal is to get to $100 billion. And the, if you look at the TAM, uh, total adjustable market, it's, it's just a fraction of that. And so there's a lot of opportunity that we can go get, uh, go and, and do if it's in the new compute space that we're going after. So think of uh, your laptop compute space, or if, it ha if it's in your car, if it's in your IoT, industrial, VR, XR, um, and now the AI on edge. Um, mm -hmm. We're prime and fit for that. But to do that, you ha we have to readjust who we are, uh, replan how we build, uh, not just think about the bag of chips that we would create, but the, the ability from going from a hardware to a software, software to a subscriptions, to allow for that whole ecosystem to create. And to be honest, that's my discipline. This is what I do. Mm -hmm. um, this is what makes me happy. I'm not a run guy. I'm a transformation person. And I, this, is, this transformation is important for the, for the world. Not just for call, I think for the world to allow for new capabilities to exist. Yeah. And you mentioned too, but the business model going from a model of working with a few large customers, yeah. now you're working with... Yeah. Us. So there was an interesting, I, when I first got there, um, I, I told the team, you know, we had five customers and I was corrected. They said, no, no, we have seven. <laughs> um, and I said, it doesn't really matter. Um, and it, it, if it's five customers, seven customers, 12 customers, when you work with a, with a handset companies and you can name them off on your hand, um, you can do white glove activity with them. You can. Um, and what, what we design, it doesn't have to be perfect because you're going to white glove it and help them implement the model. But when you go from five to seven customers to, let's just say, a thousand in auto, uh, a million in IoT, mm. um, your software has to scale differently. It has to have more self-service. It has to have ability to take your SDK and use it effectively without any white glove at all, because you can't scale the model. And so our journey has been, how do you scale the model that's different than what it was before? Uh, allowing for self-service, allow for more healing and uh, easy to find documentation discovery that is important to allow for the next cool game to be created on your platform. And, and I think that's what's the exciting part of this whole journey is there's so much we can do. And the pivot is, you know, deliver for the masses, not just for the, for the ones that, uh, that we white glove. Well, I want everybody to watch this company because you joined what eighteen months mm -hmm. or so ago, yep. thirty some odd, thirty-three billion, forty-four now, yep. and the plan to get to hundred is real. That's real. That's oh, exciting. It's real. Well, and I think if if you even with the economic conditions that we, we're we're all under, if if you look at the spaces that that are could be addressable, um, and and I know that the compute space is kind of a crowded space. So you have an Intel's, you have AMD, um, and you have Apple. Uh, we're entering that market, which we think is a good compute to allow for 5G to, to be enabled and ARM processing, and we believe we can be a great contender. Speed, performance, acceleration um, that we, you haven't seen yet. Mm -hmm. So this coming out. Um, we think we are, we're a great uh, option for all of these auto providers that are going more digital. And we're in most cars. 
So it's it's a very good market. And now the IoT, which is massive, massive market. Because what's the definition of IoT? Yeah, everything, you know. Um, and so in that space, uh, if we can just tap into a little bit, the, the growth projection is amazing. Um, and I, I believe, and this is not because I'm at Qualcomm, but I believe we have one of some of the best silicon ever. And so if once you utilize low power, high speed efficiencies, uh, once you create the, the ability for developers to grab onto that ecosystem, it's going to be like it's a wildfire everywhere. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, this... Um... You've got this ability to really hone in on what matters. There's, I'm going to unpack some of these. There was uh, Brian Moynihan, who's the Bank of America CEO, Q2 announcement recently. He, as CEO, came out and talked about how digital superiority matters. Now, we, we, we get that, right? But to hear a bank CEO say that and to have metrics around it, pretty staggering. So how do you set your company up to achieve digital superiority? Yeah. This is the interesting part. So our company is digital. It's a it's a tech company for tech, and so when I say I'm the cu customer zero, I, I mean it. Um, if I don't take uh, advantage of all of the great stuff we have and utilize it, and then employ it to do something different, um, to accelerate value, capabilities, uh, creativity, um, then I fail in my role as a CIO. And so to allow for us to be that digital transformation agent digital powerhouse mm. um it is looking at the world slightly different and saying how should we take a go-to-market strategy tilt it on its side and seeing what's important for the world and so th think about this um when we say uh everybody has to go to market they, i'm going to market differently but if if you were to start to interact with the developers differently at a university or schools uh, to get them uh, understanding of the technology and then tune it to make it even better mm. and then accelerate something. Or if you had a, a, a profit share of how you create capabilities or you invite them into your ecosystem, very, very different. Yeah. So if you take all the like the big brands out there, you know, your, your Netflix or your Apple or um, those ecosystems saying, how do you make the best out of all of them to allow for something else to happen uh, by being customer zero, taking our technology and then using it in a different fashion. But the technology is the easiest part. It's the human behavior that's probably the hardest part. And so a lot of our journey has been illustrating the story, creating videos, telling that we're doing whiteboarding, mm. uh, talking about why we should be doing something different than a typical hardware company going into a software and the journey and stacking and understanding the feature set. So it's, it's a little bit more than selling it than versus doing it. Every one of these award-winning CIs will tell you this is hard work, right? BCG tells us 70%, 7-0 of digital initiatives fail. So this is not for the faint of heart, right? And yeah. stakes are high, a lot of money at stake, a lot of risk. Um, but you've got some unique partnerships going on internally that you're that you're nurturing to, to build this out. And you talk about the video some more. You've got different, different yeah. videos, right, for yeah. different audiences. Yeah, so when I first got there, the, my, my goal was, uh, I called it, don't jerk the wheel. What I meant by that was, I, I, there's a lot of stuff that happens in a company because it's just supposed to be that way. Mm. Things happen, uh, situations occur. There's financial implications. There's a risk that's what's going on. There's a governance process. There's a leadership. Um, and so my goal was, understand it. Don't judge. Just, yeah. be, just be curious. Um, and then after you understand it, at least be a little bit more judging until you understand more, and then you can be more judgy. Um, and so my, my goal was to be super curious, but then uh, tell the story through the lens of the business partner 
that we're interacting with, not through the lens of an IT person. Mm. I, I love IT. It's the best role out there, I believe. But I, I, but if you, you can't uh, pull in the business partner and tell them through the marketing lens or through a general manager's auto lens, you're, hitting, you're not hitting the mark at all. Yeah. And so what we've done is we've created videos, whiteboarding to tell the story depending on where we want to head to. And, and think of it as almost like a cartoon drawing of here's current state, here's future state, and how do we want to track to, to, to make sure we, we, we get there in sl- mm. small chunks. Uh, one of the greatest mentors I had, CIO, CIO is Charlie Fowler. He has this thought process that he breaks out and he does it in three years and he shows this chart. And, and so I've used that. Um, but you still have to tell it through the lens of the business partner. And so my, my marketing CMO friend, uh, Don McGuire is great, but he understands why, the, and we, we both push for the same vision, which is important for us to kind of accelerate the journey. Fantastic. You know, on, on the program here, one of the things, the cool things we do to unpack your superpowers is we go to people who know you very well and they're going to ask you some questions. So let's listen in to our first question. Uh, see if you recognize this voice and, uh, and then have some fun with the question. Okay. Yeah, our role is a, a high stress job under any circumstances, but even more so in tough economic times when the demand far exceeds the supply and companies are under stress. How do you keep the team energetic and inspired when your own tank is drained every day? Ah, that's Charlie Feld. Um, (laughs) It's kind of funny, you just mentioned Charlie just a second ago. Yeah, uh, Charlie has been instrumental in my life um, almost as a second father figure. And I mean that with with the the greatest love. Uh, He's a really good man cares about you as a person, has driven, pushed, challenged, coached, guided, scolded at times um, when needed. Um, but uh, I, th- I think the, the question really has been set apart of how do you ensure, he has this great saying, I love it. He says, you have to look good on a horse. And I, I asked him, I said, Charlie, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, you know, times sometimes are bad, but your teams are looking to understand what, how the leader's emotions are mm. and how they feel about it. And if, if you can project a good positive spirit, they too will feel positive about the journey. And so when the tank is low or when you're feeling a little bit down or you, you want to uh, continue the journey, know that you're going to have issues. Because things are going to happen. Right. Nothing's perfect in this world. But how do you approach it? And so we can say, yeah, and have a little bit of an Eeyore syndrome and, and hate the world. Or you can look at the positive side and say, okay, we got thrown uh, a curveball. How do we adjust the pattern and and focus on what matters? And maybe the plan is even better. And so he's always taken. He's always given me the advice of look at it from a lens of uh, you're going to get stuff we don't like, um, but how do you adjust? And that makes a better leader. Right. And then the 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 biggest thing is is how do you project that value out to your team because they're, they're they care. They're mm-hmm. watching. They're trying to understand and they pick up on everything. I mean, it's just like our, you know, kids, my kids will pick up on behaviors and like, what's wrong, dad? And I don't do anything. Right. It's, your teams are picking up on motions and how you stance and what the words you use or don't use. And so um, the, the, the greatest things that we have is our team members by far. And so how do you project the journey for them so that they can feel jazzed about it, even in, in despite of, of uncertainties or some scary moments? As you're describing the horse, I got a visual of George Washington 
<laughs> Remember the story? He's yeah. going back and forth yeah. in front of the battle line, in yeah. front of his troops. And uh, when you do that, you end up taking some bullets, I right? Did. I mean, it's you're out there. Oh, well, but you're supposed to be out there for, for your team. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you're hiding in the back and not taking and just watching them get defeated or and you're not part of the journey, mm. I think there's going to be a little bit of less respect for you later. Charlie has seen you in different scenarios, different environments, and um, one of his great compliments of you, and it's a real Achilles in our profession, is you are incredible at selling your ideas. So any any pointers, any tips on mm -hmm. how, because you're, you've got to communicate, keep your people on this, yeah. this journey, you've got your business peers, you've got customers. I think part of selling the journey is you really have to understand that business um, and understand it not from your lens, but from the business lens. Yeah. And and the reason by when you do that, when you understand the business, you, you can speak with uh, understanding what it means to them and how it feels and why we have to change. And so I, I think selling it is um, some of the hardest and the greatest stuff is communication. And uh, some people need to hear it seven times. Some people need it in a, in a written format. Some want it in, in a verbal, some need a video. Um, some need sound and, and glitz and glam, but you need to understand the business, then you need to understand the audience mm. of how you're going to be talking through this messaging to ensure that they can they can feel it and understand it. Um, and you know, and, and it's okay to ask for help. Like, does this does this hit the cylinder hit all cylinders for you? And how we want to drive the the change? But I think it's it's really got to understand the business. Yeah, really do. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Ken Spangler, and I know you know Ken. Uh, he's a friend at, at FedEx. He talks about uh, being a great IT person, uh, but sorry, being a great business person, you'd become a better IT person. Mm. And and I think so too. I think once you understand the business, you can ensure that you're delivering the right value out of an IT shop. Yeah. Charlie also talks about you in terms of you get complexity. Maybe it goes back to your architect days, but you get complexity, you get how that impacts scale and speed. Um, he, he made reference as only Charlie could to a, oh, I won't name them, but one of the, the major airlines and how you grow from each $10 billion increment, you know, it gets harder, right? And you're, you're in the middle of this journey where you're going to go from 30 to 40 to hundred. So any pointers, how do you think about leading an organization through complexity, scaling, speed, all that? I think, so uh, maybe it is an architecture mindset. We had this slogan, uh, at the last place called ABCD. Um, first four letters of the alphabet, kind of easy to remember. Right? Um, a stood for architect, B stood for build, C st uh, stood for consume, and D stood for uh, decommission. Mm. Um, but we don't do that very well, do we? No, no, we either build and then, <laughs> and then have a bunch of stuff we never decommission. And so we had this, this ABCD uh, slogan. But the first one is architect. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so what we've been understanding from a complexity is if you understand the vision out from not just one project at a time, but a multi-project, multi-year, you can start to build the application properly. And so the architecture mindset is super important because let's take something we probably all know pretty well. When you build a home, you want to plant some pretty trees. And typically what happens is you, you'll plant the tree either too close to the home or you, you don't understand how big it's going to grow and it over, overgrows the, the area and you need a customer cuts, cuts the tree off. That's architecture, understanding how the architecture should be laid out to ensure that you're never painting yourself in the corner. And if you, you do, you know how to, how to work around it. Obfuscation layers, ensuring you can have scale efficiencies. 
security. And so when you're looking at the big picture, you're not supposed to look at it a project at a time. You're supposed to look at the project and then the entirety of everything mm. and then back up. Say, okay, now how do we do this project? Because it may differ. Um, and so I think for us, the journey will be not to create as much complexity. We'll probably create some. Understand where the long-term plan is, not one project at a time, but the whole thing. Uh, challenge it with uh, new ideas, new approaches, new characteristics to make the design better. Document it. Make mm. sure you have a good, good solid uh, enterprise architecture practice that you're trying to build out so people can feed it so it doesn't get just lost after you do the first implementation and it's not getting updated. Uh, because uh, most of these applications we build these days last 10 years, 20 years sometimes. Sure. Um, and so it matters on how you build. Does matter. It made me think of, I, I'm a big fan of Yogi Berra. I love the Yogi-isms, Yogi Berra-isms. Uh, but there's one that I think that's actually uh, misleading for our profession. And he would say, you know, and only he could do it. When you come to the fork in the road, take it. That's pretty risky in this business, isn't it? I mean, you need to make sure that you're leading the organization down the right, the right path, the right fork. Agree. Yeah. I, I think um, there's uh, uh, Charlie Masters. This. I'm not sorry that I'm doing a lot of Charlie's, but uh, it's patterns. So, mm. so I, I agree with take the fork in the road, but all along the journey before the fork starts, you have some pattern recognition of why one or the other is going to happen, why, why you should take something. And so I think as an IT profession, a lot of our, our peers have a good understanding of these patterns that are occurring, that something's triggering to allow us to think differently or do something differently. And, and it, so it's, yeah, take the, take the path, but you're building up to it. You don't just show up and say, now which way? It's understanding what's the circumstances, what's the business environment, what's the economic conditions, what type of, type of team do I have? Where do I need to head to? And then you're going to take the right path. Um, and so I, I think we, we start to almost, maybe unconsciously start to understand patterns faster. Uh, and that's probably the gift from the IT team because we get to see a lot of it. What a gift, yeah. yeah. You mentioned uh, the ABCD decommission. I think something we don't do well in our profession is leading the hard conversation to help deprioritize. Because we can't do everything, right? We can't do it well. So how do you how do you have that conversation when someone, this is a big idea for somebody. Yeah, so there was two parts of this ABCD. The, the ABCD, uh, Architect Build Consume Decommission, was the IT version of it. On the flip side, because everything has two sides. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of it, we, we talked about what does a business partner have to do? And so the, the first part is awareness, awareness of the capabilities out there. That's A. Okay. Uh, B is business partnership. Who's your business partners? How they align? Mm -hmm. C is courage, uh, courage to do the right things, courage to, to, uh, to challenge. And then D is d decisions we make. And the reason why it's so impactful is when we think about it from an IT lens, we're, we're structured on build something, uh, architect it, build it, consume it, and try to uh, decommission something. The business partners need to also look at it from their lens and saying, we have to have courage, that see, and we have to have decisions we make because we don't want this to be laying around forever. Mm. And so part of it is um, selling why, how come, the better you, the stuff we get out of it, return on investments, the speed that we'll have, the maintaining that the maintenance that will, will drop, security that's not going to be, that we don't have to worry about, um, and it's a better. Um, and they're gonna, we're going to have some really good business partners that help us turn that switch off and 
pull the lever saying, yeah, let's kill it um, and be with you because you're, they understand both sides of the ABCDs. Yeah, I love that. You know, um, one of my other great Charlie is I've known Charlie for decades, so mm-hmm. just just think the world of him. He talked about early in his CIO tenure, we're going back to the 80s, 90s, right? He said back then, this is pre-internet, pre-cell phone, imagine that, right? Yeah, wow. He said, you know, (laughs) back then, we had time to sit and think and build relationships and strategize. The problem is we didn't have the technology to go do the cool stuff. Fast forward, he said, he empathizes with CIOs. He's like, all the technology we need, but no time to sit and think and build relationships and... How do you how do you combat that? That whole time, all the things coming at you. It's a it's a really good question, and I I, I agree. I mean, most of it's let's implement and create the next thing, and um, not so much discuss. I, I'm a uh, this has to work for everybody uh, in in their own their own style. I'm an office person. I go to the office every day because I, I like the office. Mm-hmm. Could I work from home? Yeah, but I, I like going to the office partly because I get to see my business partners, um, and I get to engage with them. Not, not during the meeting of a meeting, but walking out of the meeting to talk about stuff or seeing him down the hall and wandering um, to have those crucial conversations about stuff that we should be talking about because you're, you're running into deliver software, create a capability, do the next thing and um, not strategizing on what should we do and how do you create it. And so a lot of it is creating the moments, but then also establishing um, and I, I don't like this terminology, but establishing the, t- the right tables of people to ensure that we can organize and understand and make sure that we provide value to the, our team, um, the capabilities, the shareholders. Uh, but almost like, um, remember the King Arthur's round table that you would have and it, there was no head of the table? No head of table, but, but to allow for values to be achieved and created because it's important. There's, and I think you and I have talked about this before. There's two people that I believe get to see all the interaction. They go to, out to the company. The CFO, because they pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, usually they see and help kind of write the check and cover it off. The IT person, CIO, because they have to implement it, turn it on, plug it in, secure it, support it. And so it is imperative in our duty, our duty <laughs> to actually take it and understand that to ensure we establish the right things that are for the company. And so there's a uh, Peter Parker saying, you know, it, it, with uh, great powers comes great responsibility. I think the IT person has great power. So you have to do the right thing, right? And um, if you don't, then you're missing the boat. So creating that strategic uh, King Arthur table, um, establishing moments, creating the videos, establishing why, how come, um, being persistent, uh, persistent because you're, you're never going to win at all with the first battle and then persistent again um, and, and, and challenging the norms. That's back to that courage, right? And I, I think most conversations I have with CEOs today, they bring up leadership courage and just how they're concerned about, as a profession, us not having that muscle tuned up. Uh, speaking of muscle, you care very deeply about 2,500 people. Oh, deeply. In your organization. Um, you get people, you get, uh, you invest in people. Um, when, when we visited back in Pittsburgh years ago, we were talking about launching that leadership program in Pittsburgh. I think it took maybe four minutes before you said, I'm in. Yeah. Uh, cool. just, yeah. And so yeah. when you think about this journey, this time, this company, what's the muscle that your team's going to need to 
to be able to lead this journey? Um, energy, focus, um, understanding that we're going to have challenges, uh, but to be able to adjust and navigate appropriately. Um, when we launched the cohort, uh, mm -hmm. I, uh, just talking to us, but just a sec, I think what's so important um, is ensuring that we, we grow our team members so that they can become better than us, like by far. Mm. Uh, I don't want to stick in my job forever, um, but I want the companies, I want the, my, the companies I've been part of to thrive after I leave, not just like, well, what do we do now? And so if we invest in our team members and like properly invest, not just give them technical skill sets, but also the soft skill sets, understanding how you can have empathy and how you grow a team member and mm -hmm. caring about them, um, then you're going to have better employees. And so it's the same thing in the dual-sided coin. Uh, one side is our technology capabilities, feature sets, understanding the business. The other side is a human aspect of how do you become a fit IT professional? And that doesn't mean like technology. It means care about your health. And what are you doing to make sure you take care of yourself? And um, are you enjoying your family life? And what's other stuff? Are you reading any science fiction books? And are you enjoying life? Um, and, and care about that side too. Then they become a better professional. It's almost like a, a world-class athlete. And so we can start to create these world-class athletes. Then we have, they can endure anything. And so as uh, economic conditions come in or a cyber incident, hopefully not for anybody, cyber incident comes in or something else, they have the ability uh, to endure um, whatever the challenge is. And so I, a lot of what we've been focusing on is there is the what, I, but I super care about that. How we do work, how it's exercised, because the work will change. Mm -hmm. But how you do it should be able to, to adjust for and say, all right, something new, we got it. Right? And so I think it's enduring. I think it's that practice of this is not a sprint, this is a marathon. Ensure that you have enough energy to allow for the next part of the journey to go to be unfolded. Wow. Um, and then I think our teams can thrive. They really do. Well, again, one of your, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, you back on the horse, right? That bringing that energy, but that ability to energize people and you get people really owning and having pride in their work and, and uh, this company. Uh, and your people are aware. I know big operation in San Diego. Yeah, so I have a, a team in San Diego, a team in India, a team in Singapore, a team in China, Taiwan, Germany, Cork. Uh, they're sprinkled around in the States. Um, I have a, uh, some members in uh, Romania, uh, I said Germany, um, some members in Sweden. Um, so they're sprinkled around the kind of Japan uh, all over the place. Um, and they're fabulous. Mm. The, the tricky part of having a very diverse group all over the place is ensuring that everybody has the same mental model, right. vision, strategy, understanding. Um, and so a lot of communication has been going on to ensure that if you're in Taiwan or you're in uh, Cork, Ireland, that you understand why, which, what we're going after and why it matters and how you're part of it and how you're linked to the bigger vision. Because I, I, don't, I can't afford to lose any of them. I want them to be all part of the vision and help us drive the strategy because it's not, it's not a single person. It's the team that's going to push this through. Yeah. What an exciting day. I mean, I, I get, I get why, you, um, why you answer the call. Right. I mean, you had a great thing going on, but this is big. This is special. This is one of those one of a kind. Speaking of special, you know, we uh, have a lot of passion together around doing tech for good in our communities. And, you know, we do the scholarship for, for TechLX. So, so um, nice. love to give you the ability to, to gift a seat in that 
TechLX program to one of your nonprofits that you're involved yeah. in? Anybody, anybody come to mind? Yeah, so I love uh, non, a lot of the nonprofits. And everywhere I've been, I've tried to get involved in some kind of a STEM program. Um, either when I was living in Memphis or living in Pittsburgh and now living in San Diego. For, for me, STEM matters. Mm -hmm. Not because I'm in the industry, but, but it matters to help give individuals uh, a chance for different things that are out there. There's only going to be so many amazing Michael Jordans. There's only going to be a few of them. But you can be a great doctor or a scientist or a mathematician or an IT person. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what we we're trying to, at least I'm trying to strive for, is ensuring that we grow our, uh, grow our, uh, the, our children effectively. So I've always been a part of STEM. Recently, when I got to San Diego, um, I wanted to, to be part of a, a bigger STEM program that's there. And Fleet Science Center uh, is in San Diego, and um, I'm uh, one, part of the board members. Um, and it's, it's, it's a fabulous organization. If you've ever been to San Diego, I'd recommend you to check out the Fleet Science Center. It's, it's amazing because you're helping to teach the, the children different aspects of science and um, how things move and change and and or organized and the the science center is, is amazing there mm. it, it really is so i would love to to ensure that they're part of this this great opportunity the fleet science center i think they would love it outstanding yeah what a great organization i'm glad we're giving them the, some great credit because yeah. we got to get the kids excited early right yeah see themselves in this profession yeah and what's interesting about the fleet science center like other science centers um it, we also cater to areas that have uh probably higher po poverty they don't get the opportunity in schools, science program or math's cut out, or they're not as investing as much in IT. And so a, a lot of, uh, even for Qualcomm, we're dope, we donate a lot of laptops, but we're trying to ensure that everybody has access. So everybody has an opportunity to be great. Yeah. We need them too, right? Oh. This, this profession, we, yeah. need, we, need, yeah. we need that talent. Yeah, definitely. Last question for you. I would love to have you think about um, CIO. If you were to change the I, and CIO yep. to better indicate what you do, what we do, how we should, any, any. Yeah, uh, yeah I have. A, so the, the traditional CIO is a chief information officer. I, and we are, we're right. information people, but more and more, especially with uh, all the key capabilities we're creating, it's more of an integration officer. Mm. Think about like tying in a, a SaaS to a, a tool set and creating integration. Or taking even, I know uh, shadow IT does exist. How do you take the shadow IT and integrate it appropriately so it has better security? Um, and so I've always believed, and I think there's a lot of my peers that think uh, it's a chief integration officer that we're playing. Um, integrating tool sets, integrating people, integrating capabilities, because that's foundation of what we do. Yeah, it has information, but it's integrating uh, a lot of key capabilities that are, that are, are needed for an environment. Love it. Love it. Well, well, I know we're winding down. You and I are going to spend a little more time. We're going to, yeah. we're going to create a blog for CIO.com. That'll be out next week. And we've got the Leadership Masterclass, which is going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and you're, our, you're the closer. You're the closer, so uh, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks so much. Really enjoy yeah, the time you. always. And I uh, just want to thank uh, Dave Vest and the team at Delphix. We are in their studio here at the Terranera Resort. We've got the fireside chat going on. It's a great situation. We've got Roden, who's the uh, world-class videographer, photographer. Just uh, appreciate you all. So until next time, everybody, uh, you stay well.
You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolette and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.